cowardly act. That's the only way I can describe it. An utterly cowardly act on the support of the United States Supreme Court, which in my opinion, with Friday's decision, or rather indecision, has just taken a giant leap toward its inevitable irrelevancy in American politics and government. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the podcast by going either to the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store slash podcast store. Search for NP Online and subscribe. The subscription is free in either location. The real benefit of the subscription is that whenever a new episode is uploaded, you will be informed right away and you won't miss a thing. If for any reason you have difficulty in either of those two places, simply download the Podbean app in your iTunes App Store or Google Play Store. Podbean is the hosting service that we use, and you can listen to the podcast that way. It is also free of charge. Well, several developments today. Before we get to the real big news of the day, I just thought I'd make a little comment here. The Pennsylvania Republican electors cast their votes today for Donald Trump and Mike Pence, believe it or not. I'll read this article directly to you. The Pennsylvania Republican Party said on Monday that Republican electors cast their votes for President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence. The state GOP, in a news release posted to Twitter, wrote that the electors met in Harrisburg to cast quote, a conditional vote for Trump and Pence at the request of the Trump campaign. Their vote comes as Democratic electors voted in the Pennsylvania Electoral College for Democrat Joe Biden and Senator Kamala Harris. Electors in the other states are slated to cast their votes on Monday as well. The GOP cited the 1960 presidential election between former Richard Nixon, uh, former Vice President Richard Nixon, and John F. Kennedy, who would become the eventual winner. Nixon, who would become president eight years later, was declared the winner in Hawaii while Democrat legal challenges were pending, according to the GOP, noting that a conditional vote was cast by Democratic electors for Kennedy when the electors met in 1960. We took this procedural vote to preserve any legal claims that may be preserved going forward, said Pennsylvania Trump campaign chairman Bernie Comfort in the GOP news release. This was in no way an effort to usurp or contest the will of the Pennsylvania voters. Now, I don't know how many delegates there are. Let's see. But anyway, it said that Trump's campaign and the lawyers for other campaigns have mounted a series of legal challenges. That we already know. White House advisor Stephen Miller told Fox News on Monday morning that alternate groups of electors were being chosen in several states, claiming that it would lead to Trump's reelection. The only date in the Constitution is January 20th. Now, we've spoken about this before. The date that we use for the Electoral College votes of December 14th uh, is not finite. That is just something uh, that has become, over the years, the day that it's done. But the the votes aren't actually counted um, in Congress until January 6th, the joint session when the House of Representatives and the Senate meet. He said, as we speak today, an alternate slate of electors in the contested states is going to vote, and we're going to send those results up to Congress. According to the U.S. Code, when the House and Senate meet, they have to look into all the certificates and papers purporting to be certificates of the electoral votes. 
Several Republican members of Congress have said they would attempt to object to the counting of the electoral votes for a state, which would then trigger a series of debates. So we'll see how this all plays out. I know that Sidney Powell filed another emergency uh, petition before the Supreme Court asking for a writ of mandamus and a certiorari. Uh, but that's still in its developmental stages. I'll have more to report on that probably tomorrow. What I really want to focus on, this is not going to be an exceptionally long podcast, but what I really want to focus on is the absolutely cowardly way the United States Supreme Court conducted itself in this manner. Now, I made two podcasts last week that spent a lot of time examining the role of the United States Supreme Court and what is and what is not constitutionally required. And as I explained to you then, and I'm not backing away from it because it is absolutely true, and other legal scholars who have covered this matter over the weekend and the ensuing days since I made my last podcast, which was a short while before the Supreme Court's uh, decision, or rather, again, indecision was handed down, the Supreme Court of the United States is the court of original jurisdiction for disputes between the states. There is no other place for the states to go. They are the final arbiter. They are the ultimate referee between disputes that occur between states in this union. And so Justice Alito was absolutely 100% correct when he dissented, not in the ruling, because nobody knows what the ruling would have come out. Perhaps they would have killed it anyway. But Justice Alito was 100% correct, and Justice Thomas, who agree with him, um, also was 100% correct when they said, we do not have discretion. We do not have discretion in areas where we are possessed of original jurisdiction. We cannot say no. We must hear it and render a decision either way. We can't simply punt. But that's exactly what they did. And by punting on that Texas lawsuit in which 18 other states joined, the United States Supreme Court has now taken an irreversible step down the road toward irrelevancy in American affairs and politics, as well as hypocrisy in the discharge of its duties, just as I said before. Many of the most significant decisions ever rendered by the United States Supreme Court were the result of its not simply acting within its constitutional mandate, but rather going well beyond it, acting almost as a super legislature in an activist manner when it suited it. This was the case in Roe v. Wade. And that is really the basis why many conservatives uh, oppose Roe v. Wade, not because it's the underlying issue of interfering in a woman's right to abortion, but by the manner in which it was done. This is what happens when you have justices that act in an activist way and seek to invent rights and try and twist and manipulate statutes and acts of the legislature into meaning something other than it was intended to mean. They found the right to abortion buried somewhere in the Constitution in the right to privacy. You'd have to look hard and fast to try and find whether the words the right to an abortion is an extension of the right to privacy. That is the ultimate end somebody who wanted to get there in the first place, whose reasoning backward from a predestined end would arrive at. But yet in this case, where there is no ambiguity, where they are the, the court of original jurisdiction, they don't do it. Texas prevailed upon the court to constitutionally act as it is or as it does when it comes to disputes between states where they are the court of original jurisdiction and they just refuse to hear it. You can't do it.
Now, I go by this argument. Given that the United States Supreme Court has original jurisdiction over disputes between the states, and it's the only place states can go, it is legal fiction for the court to cite, as it did, no standing, a lack of standing as grounds for not hearing the case. Simply by virtue of being a sovereign state within this union of 50 states, a state has the standing to bring a lawsuit against another state in the U.S. Supreme Court. That is it. There is no ambiguity there. And you don't need to be a Harvard Law professor to understand this, ladies and gentlemen. You simply need common sense, as this is a rudimentary issue. Now, this latest ill-fated decision on the part of the court is yet a further illustration of its continued and growing predilection to simply act when it feels like acting, rather than acting when it is required to act. Anyway, it isn't as if these people are overworked. I said it the other day. Historically, the court has usually heard something on the order of 150 cases a year. In recent years, that number has dwindled. I think it's a little over 100 now, and they're probably looking to bring it less than 100. If they work any less, one has to wonder why we need a court at all. It would really make moot the necessity of packing the court, as the Democrats want, and expand it to 15 justices. You got nine, essentially nine do-nothings now. Why do we need 15 do-nothings on the government payroll? There's barely enough work to keep these losers busy. Now, but my real problem here is the court has certainly shown no reluctance to act when the opportunity to expand its own power and authority presented itself. In a case very much on point with this Texas case that they just declined to hear, the court took the extraordinary step of doing just that. Now, this was mentioned by several hosts over the weekend, and I just want to expand on it for those of you in this audience who may not have heard it. There was a case a number of years ago called the Commonwealth of Massachusetts versus the EPA. Now, what happened in that case is rather interesting. The Massachusetts and several other states petitioned the Environmental Protection Agency to ask it to regulate emissions of carbon dioxide and other gases that contribute to global warming from new motor vehicles. Massachusetts argued that the EPA was required to regulate these, quote, greenhouse gases by the Clean Air Act, which states that Congress must regulate any air pollutant that can reasonably be anticipated to endanger public health or welfare. There's one problem with that. Carbon dioxide has never been determined to be a pollutant. Greenhouse gases and pollutants are not one and the same thing. They're two different things. And the Clean Air Act just required them to regulate an air pollutant, not a greenhouse gas. The EPA, in my opinion, it's an agency I'm not a big fan of, but in my opinion, they acted correctly in this instance. They denied the petition, claiming that the Clean Air Act does not authorize the agency to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. And even if it did, the EPA argued, the agency had discretion to defer a decision until more research could be done on, quote, the causes, extent, and significance of climate change and the potential options for addressing it. Now, Massachusetts appealed this denial to the 13th Circuit of the, of the um, U.S. Federal Courts. That's the D.C. Circuit. That's considered perhaps the most powerful circuit in the country. It may be the most powerful court uh, after the Supreme Court because it is based in Washington, D.C. So many issues which are litigated against the government itself take place in the 13th Circuit. 
So this is not a fly-by-night court. In fact, Robert, Just, uh, Robert Bork was a very distinguished justice on the 13th Circuit. The question before the Supreme Court in this appeal was one. May the EPA decline to issue emission standards for motor vehicles based on policy considerations not enumerated excuse me, in the Clean Air Act? And two, does the Clean Air Act give the EPA authority to regulate carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases? By a 5-4 vote, the court reversed the district court, um, the, sorry, the circuit court opinion in D.C. and ruled in favor of Massachusetts. Now, at that time, the justices on the court were John Roberts, the same chief justice we have now, Justice John Paul Stevens, the late Antonin Scalia, Justice Kennedy, Justice Souter, Justice Thomas, Justice Ginsburg, Justice Breyer, and Justice Alito. By a 5-4 ruling with um, Stevens, Kennedy, Souter, Ginsburg, and Breyer in the majority and the rest in the minority, the court reversed the ruling. The opinion by Justice John Paul Stevens held that Massachusetts, due to, quote, its stake in protesting and protecting its quasi-sovereign interest as a state, had standing to sue the EPA over potential damage caused to its territory by global warming. The court rejected the EPA's argument that the Clean Air Act was not meant to refer to carbon emissions in the section giving the EPA authority to regulate air pollutants. The court held that if the EPA wishes to continue its inaction on carbon, it's required by the Act to base decisions on consideration of whether greenhouse gas emissions contribute to climate change. Now, strangely enough, Chief Justice Roberts, at least he was ideologically consistent, he dissented, arguing that Massachusetts should not have standing to sue. So I guess you can't accuse him of hypocrisy because he said Massachusetts did not have standing to sue. And he also said that the Trump, that the state of Texas didn't have standing to sue. I think he was right as it regards the EPA. I think he's wrong as it regards the state of Texas. After all, this is a case of where Congress wrote an act, and now the Supreme Court is going to try and tell Congress what it meant to say. It very clearly gave the EPA the authority to regulate air pollutants. And carbon dioxide, in case you don't know, which is the gas that you and I exhale when we breathe, was never deemed to be a pollutant. Maybe it's a greenhouse gas, but greenhouse gases and pollutants are not one and the same thing. And trying to ask a court, of all courts, the Supreme Court, to mandate a federal agency to regulate a greenhouse gas as if it was an air pollutant when it has no authority to do so is an overreach. Yet the court had no problem, and some of the same justices on the court, uh, you had, uh, let's see, Breyer is still on the court. Breyer is on the court. We can't say anybody else was. Souter has, re has retired. Kennedy retired. Stevens is gone. Uh, Scalia died. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. She's gone. But, um, but Breyer, he's the hypocrite here. He was on the court then. He said they had standing. And now he says the state of Texas doesn't have standing. This is real goal. Now, Justice Scalia, well, first let's get to Roberts. Roberts dissented arguing that Massachusetts should not have had standing to sue because the potential injuries from global warming were not concrete or particularized, either individually or and personal. Justice Scalia's dissent argued that the Clean Air Act was intended to combat conventional lower atmosphere pollutants and not global climate 
change. Exactly. It was about clean air. It wasn't about anything else. But funny how the Supreme Court, as an institution, when it wants to get involved in something to increase its authority, authority within itself, they make everything sound fine. Of course they have standing. But when you get something that's so rudimentary that any person in America can understand it, when we tell you the Supreme Court was charged in the Constitution with being the final sole arbiter of disputes between states, it tells you that the state, when it sues another state, by virtue of being a state, it's got standing. Here we've got the Supreme Court intervening on behalf of a state to compel a federal agency to act some way in the detriment of other states. You got rather circuitous route there to try and say that there's standing. There's no standing there. Here, the state of Texas is not going to another federal agency. They're saying, hey, these four states conducted a fraudulent, corrupt election. And because of it, it diluted the votes of my citizens in my state and our electoral votes, and I want you to put a stop to it. I want you to address it. Now, maybe the court can't be arm-twisted into doing it, but they've got to hear it not hearing it. They had three choices they could have made. They could have heard it and granted the relief. They could have heard it and denied the relief. I wouldn't have been happy with the latter, but at least they would have done their constitutional duty and heard the case. But to simply not hear it at all is about as low as it gets. And every one of those judges that were put on that court by Donald Trump should hang their heads in shame. Donald Trump fought for every one of them. All right, Gorsuch was his first pick. It was early in his term. The fight wasn't that great. He was a good pick. He got through pretty much smoothly and unscathed. But what they did to Brett Kavanaugh, how they objected to Amy Coney Barrett, and he fought to get her on the court anyway. All right, they couldn't lay much of a glove on her in the hearings, but they still tried. They made an issue of her religion. But what they did to Kavanaugh was beyond the pale. If nothing else, as a man, you'd think you'd want revenge, but let's assume you didn't want revenge. You were accused of the most heinous things. You see, by definition of that, that there's nothing these leftists would not do to undermine people and to undermine our government. And you find it hard to believe that there was fraud in this election? When you, f you find it hard to believe that a state doesn't have standing to sue another state? Any other president, Justice Kavanaugh, would have dropped you like a hot potato in the face of that kind of opposition because every president wants his pick to make the court. Any other president would have asked you to withdraw your name from the nomination, and he would have put somebody up there that was more easily confirmed. But Donald Trump stood by you like I've never seen a president stand by a nominee before, and you folded like a cheap camera. You're a piece of garbage. And I regret that I ever supported your nomination. I hear all these courts saying there's no evidence of fraud. They're uncovering more fraud every day. What evidence do you want? 
This the kind of thing where if I don't show you a picture of a man with a smoking gun standing over a dead body, you refuse to find him guilty of murder? We've got videotapes of ballots being pulled out of suitcases after everyone else is sent home. We've got audio tapes of people saying that they're going to stop counting at 11 o'clock well in advance. We've now got analysis of Dominion machines in Michigan where over 4,000 votes were switched switched from Trump to Biden, and that's only in one county. What if they did an analysis on all the counties or all the Dominion machines? We have sworn affidavits from over 1,000 people that swore this, sworn under penalty of perjury. And we have the math. The math is an exact science. Two plus two always has to equal four. And my friends, when you have a case where in order for what the media and the Democrats want you to believe happened to happen, and that is that Joe Biden got over 80 million votes, and that a man who never left his basement beat a man who draw throngs whenever he showed up and increased his own previous election total by 11 million votes, it is required that 2 plus 2 equal 10. But we know that the laws of mathematics are immutably decreed. 2 plus 2 cannot equal 10. And Joe Biden couldn't get 80 million votes if his dementia-ridden brain and life depended upon it. And that's the bottom line, and that's the evidence. With this decision, or indecision, you folks on the Supreme Court may very well have just slit your own throat as your Democrats that you seem to be so beholden to try to expand your ranks to 15 and you become nothing more than a clown. A circus of clowns in black robes pretending to be judges. You're the biggest hypocrites of all. You are the guardians of the Constitution. You are the guardians of law and order. You've guarded nothing except your own positions, which are now pathetic and have become a caricature of what they once were. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.